Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So thank you, God, for your words, especially words like, God has no partiality. Boy, we are so blessed by that, that we are all loved by you, and that we are all open to receive the, the grace and salvation and freedom that knowing and loving you brings. Please best bless our pastor, our speaker this morning, that you have entrusted with his words, that he may instill in us the words, the things we need to keep in our hearts and minds and souls, to be the best ambassadors we can be for you, to live in a righteous way. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you. Thank you, Faith. Gotta get centered, you know. <laughs> in many ways. Is it left, right? Yeah, off, half bubble off? Um, all right. Well, Today's text is one I really appreciate because uh, I, I think it brings us to a topic that we can all sort of relate to. Uh, am I one of them? Um, will I be accepted? Will I be embraced? We've all probably, uh, at one time or another, we've had that awkward feeling in our minds and our hearts and had that very question. Am I going to be embraced? Am I going to be accepted? Am I one of them? Most of you, I think, can remember middle school when that was probably the peak of that awkward phase and you wondered those questions deeply. Well, um, and if not, uh, maybe I can remind you. And, and, and per, uh, no, no. <laughs> Someone has some PTSD, some, some junior high PTSD. So, okay, we'll, we won't revisit any of those things. Um, but what I, I think what I'll do a, a little bit this morning, not, not too much, but probably prove to you that we really never really ever leave middle school. And, and those questions of, am I embraced? Am I accepted? They kind of always come up. They're always, you know, lingering in our heads and in our hearts. 
And in fact, in in verses 1 through 10, the text that Faith uh, read for us this morning, we have the Apostle Paul's autobiographical account of his second visit to Jerusalem and his pursuit around an answer to this very question. Will I be embraced? Will I be accepted? Um, For a quick context and give you the backdrop once again, because not everybody's been going with us through Galatians, but in a bit of a quick backdrop. In Galatia, the gospel, the one that the Apostle Paul was preaching, the one that the Apostle Paul had been teaching and, and, and evangelizing the world with, was being attacked by certain false teachers who, who had introduced a different gospel to the young Christians in that region. So they had introduced this different gospel to these young, uh, impressionable Christians in the region. Uneasy with the way Gentiles were joining Abraham's family through faith, by grace, in Christ alone, these ethnically Jewish false teachers posed making some tweaks to the original gospel message, and thus creating extra barriers for entry, extra barriers for acceptance to uh, and within the family of God. In a nutshell, this is what they claimed. They claimed that not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish. Okay? Not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish. It was, and we talked about this in week two of the study, but it was a Jesus plus right, right beliefs and right behaviors. A Jesus plus gospel. And, and you, as you all can remember, Paul was pretty, pretty uh, shocked and frustrated with this, and that's why he gets right into the grill of the Galatian church. He, he, he rips his blouse and, you know, gets frustrated. And they were saying um, that if, if these uh, Gentile believers were going to claim the inheritance and, re- relieve the be- uh, and receive the benefits of Abraham's family, they would all have to go through the embracing of rites and, and rituals that were specific to the Israelite people. And this included um, circumcision, which is a topic that is actually addressed in the topic today. You see, they were accusing Paul of teaching an easy believism, uh, claiming that Salvation, sanctification, the kingdom of God, and, the, and, and grace of Christ had come through the, the sheer grace of God. And, and Paul was, in fact, preaching this message. He was, and it's a good thing he was preaching this me- message. And, and Paul, as we read in chapter 1, he was unwavering on this position. He was unwavering. However, what I find fascinating about the text this morning is that he wasn't quite sure of his gospel and its implication and if it was something that was being embraced by the apostles in Jerusalem. He had a question. He had a question whether or not he would be accepted and embraced with the message that he was preaching with the apostles back in Jerusalem. And so he goes back there. Um, John Stott, who commentates on this idea in this section, he, he, he kind of works through it really well and succinctly, and I'd like, you, like to, to, you to see it on the screen with me. He says that here's the issue. He said, it was one thing for the Jerusalem leaders to give their approval to the, 
to the conversion of the Gentiles. But could they approve of commitment to the Messiah without inclusion in Judaism? Was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world and the church of Christ as the international family of God? You see, the church leaders in Jerusalem hadn't quite worked out the implications and what it would look like to embrace Gentile believers as they converted from paganism. It was just something that hadn't come up yet. It wasn't that they were against it. It just hadn't come up. And so, therefore, Paul and his homies, uh, Barnabas and Titus, they, they're, they're going to make this journey back to Jerusalem so they can find out whether this message is going to be embraced, whether it's going to be accepted. And I want you to notice, because we're going to get back into it now, notice how the gospel that Paul personally received from Jesus had given him certainty and resolve in a situation that was layered with suspicion and complexity. And I, want, I, want, I really want you to notice with me this morning what we can learn from it, and I want you to notice the, the courage that the gospel gives Paul as he heads back to, to see these people. Because that's, I think at least for me, what has impressed me most about this particular section. So I'm going to read verses 2 through 5 again, and we'll get into it. He says, I went up because of a revelation God had sent him, and he set before them, uh, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So Paul saying, we... We did not yield. We protected the gospel. It was preserved for you. And praise the Lord. Paul was met by men who, too, had received their gospel from Jesus Christ. They had walked, they had talked with their Lord. And so the same gospel that Paul was preaching was also being embraced by the apostles in Jerusalem. They, too, held to the freedom uh, the grace of Christ that had, brought, uh, that had been brought into the world through the cross and the resurrection. And therefore, probably best news to Titus, he and his foreskin were allowed to remain intact. Um, and instead of confusion and controversy, because there, there could have been a lot of confusion and controversy, Titus was embraced as a member of the family of God. They treated Titus like a true child of Abraham. All, and this is important, all without him becoming Jewish in culture and in custom. This is, a, this is a critical piece in the moment of the history of the church. In fact, it's what we celebrate today. It's why we can stand firm in the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. Moments like this within church history. And again, I, I want to make it really clear, Titus was not forced into circumcision because he was accepted as a child of God, a child of Abraham, based on his faith in Christ and his work alone. That's it. There was nothing beyond that. 
He was embraced, and it's a beautiful thing we see here in this united statement from the apostles in Jerusalem and the apostle Paul, who has been called specifically to the Gentile world. What we are realizing in this moment is that the gospel of faith in Christ is, in fact, for all people of all cultures. All people of all cultures. And it's interesting because, really, a question of culture is a, is a bit of an issue then, and seemingly it is still today. But the good news, at least at this point, is Paul and his party, they're in. They're accepted. They're embraced. They are part of the family of God. And so we see this beautiful moment of unity. And yet this celebration is cut short by a group of spies who have secretly been brought in in order to undermine the freedom that these believers all celebrate in Christ. Uh, it says that these false teachers had in, infiltrated the Gentile church. Um, it got all the way back to Jerusalem, and it says they, they did so in order to make us slaves, to prevent them from enjoying the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. And, and hence, hopefully, you see the, the vast difference between the gospel that Paul and the apostles in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John were preaching versus this false gospel, this different gospel that these false teachers were preaching. You see, Paul was saying that biblical gospel gives us freedom versus his opponents saying you must earn your salvation. Um, you must accept certain pieces of our culture. You must practice certain rites within our, our, our ceremonial laws in order to be embraced by God. And what, he, what Paul says is, is that if one chooses a gospel like that, it'll lead you in, in slavery. It'll, it'll lead you into a prison. And so Jesus, um, as you all know, he interacted with people like this, these, this kind of type, he holds a, a white-hot indignation for those who present an unbiblical barrier for, the entrance, for entrance into the kingdom of God. And this is important. I think this is really important to re remember as you think through the Galatian problem. Jesus, if you read the Gospels, the, pers the, the persons and the people that he's harshest to are those who should know better, those who embrace a, a way of, of holiness, a way of religiosity, and yet, and yet their lives don't demonstrate a, you know, a sincerity. I want to read you um, a couple portions out of Matthew chapter 23. It's the section where Jesus really gets into the, the business of the Pharisees. It's, it's, it's just one woe after another, but it's a critical and very harsh assessment of people who practice religiosity. And I'm just going to read to you verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verses 13 and 15, to give you kind of the gist of, of just how white-hot his indignation is. It says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. 
And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus is criticizing your practice. It might be something you want to take seriously. He calls this very idea coming against the freedom in, uh, in Christ alone um, as, a, as, a, as a, the, world, the worst hypocrisy that, that man could ever you know, breed into the, into the world. And, I, and, I, and I've been thinking a lot about hypocrisy uh, this week. Um, my own definitions and the Pharisees, of course. But I'd like to give you, you probably have a lot of definitions, but I, I thought of one this week that perhaps will be helpful. Because hip, hypocrisy really at the end of the day is a, is a self-imposed standard for holiness, uh, which is subjectively added by the individual. Okay? A self-imposed standard for holiness, which is subjectively added by the individual. And so the, the real frustrating thing about it is it changes from person to person and group to, to group, um, which is why we need, which is why we need the Bible. So, the, so the, for the Bible to give us clarity around these, these matters. I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but it's this whole idea of Jesus plus right beliefs and behaviors. It's, it's Jesus plus, and I jokingly said, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with any girls who do uh, type of rhetoric, right? There's, there's groups who want to um, micromanage people's holiness um, with their self-imposed standards um, as they're subjectively applied to groups and individuals. But what we see from Paul Paul's pretty angry about it in the beginning of the letter to the Galatians. And then if we read Matthew 23, we see him addressing religious people with their misunderstanding around the grace of God. We see that this is something that is not only something to be taken seriously, but it's actually gross. It's gross, it's garbage, and it should be done away with. And let's be honest. One, I, I think there's, there's not, it's not the only reason. There's, there, there are probably a handful of reasons. But hypocrisy in God's church is perhaps one of the primary reasons why people don't want to come to church. Okay? And, I, and if you've been a part of church for any amount of time, you can say amen to that, right? But why are you here? Why have you not thrown the baby out with the bathwater? Well, because Jesus is beautiful just sometimes his followers are a little you know wonky right they need to figure a few things out and i think what's important guys is that that isn't just a, a, a truism for others that's also true for ourselves um but it is a gross thing um to 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 practice hypocrisy and and, it, and, it, and it's really easy for us to slip into and when we, when we look at a, verse, a set of verses like this, we're brought to this really important question. Is it, is it in fact for us as believers in Christ, is it, is it in fact Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus uh, cultures and customs? That's important. What, what is it? What is it? Is it Christ alone? Or is it Christ plus the cultures and customs I deem necessary for entrance into the kingdom of heaven and true holiness. It's interesting, uh, on the back table, we have a few books 
for you to pick up this uh, week, so have at it. But it's interesting, one of those books is uh, The Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor. And I don't know if you are, any of you are familiar with Hudson Taylor, but he's a, uh, a mid-19th century missionary who went to China. And if you know anything about missiology, he and what, and what God had used him to do in China was a bit of a success. In, in, in other words, a lot of people became Christians. A lot of people gave their life to Jesus in, in love and fidelity to him. Um, he was very successful. The reason I bring up Hudson Taylor this morning is, do, do any of you understand the methods he employed to reach uh, people in China? Well, he went in. There, were, there, had, there, there had already been missionaries in China um, attempting to reach, reach uh, the people of China. And they did what every missionary does. They showed up and they... They bought some land, and they created a compound to keep them safe from all the natives. Uh, they wore, they, they wore uh, all their Western gear, uh, not, like, you know, like, not like six shooters and stuff, but, but uh, you know, um, you know what, would, what, what you would wear in the mid-19th century in England, whatever that is. But, and, and, and they, looked, they looked to import all of their native foods. Basically, what they tried to do is make themselves the most comfortable they possibly could be so that they could um, not miss home so terribly. But also, there was a bit of uh, an assumption that these Chinese natives, if they were going to receive the gospel, they, they had to embrace it just like they did. And, and, and therefore, therefore, their cultures and their customs were actually wound up in their preaching of the gospel. And what's so interesting about Hudson Taylor, I don't know if you know this about him, he was the first missionary in China to like wear um, traditional Chinese clothes, to, to eat traditional Chinese food, to, um, to actually to move out of the compound, live with the people, and then even take really deep trips and journeys into the land um, missiologists now today have actually coined a phrase for the, the way in which he approached the people. It's called incarnational ministry, incarnational mission. And it comes from uh, the idea of where Jesus sa says, um, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Being a missionary in this way takes its understanding directly from the incarnation of Jesus Christ, where Eugene Peterson says that Jesus, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. This is what Hudson Taylor was doing before it was cool, and it, before it was a, a part of missional language, before it was written about in books as a strategy. And I know that it may be, have been interesting or boring, but either way, if you really understand what Hudson Taylor was doing, you understand uh, that he probably really understood that his gospel was exclusively by Christ, through Christ alone, by faith through Christ alone. 
And that's really the question in terms of um, in terms of how are we going to operate as a, as a church? Are we going to be a Christ alone people? Are we going to be a Christ plus people? A Christ plus customs and and culture? Will we let the question is? Will we let our, our hypocrisy uh, get in the way? I'm, um, I'm kind of like a, um, I, like, I like questions and statistics and things like that. I would be so fascinated to do a poll this morning and to see where are we tempted to um, instill our cultures and our customs to our Christianity. Where, where does that, where, what's really important to you that may not be so important to Jesus, right? Where, where does not just hypocrisy happen sometimes, but where is it, where is it, where does it threaten you as an individual? Where does it threaten me? Because as I was thinking through this, I was, I was, I was thinking, you know, I personally don't always live to biblical standards. Are you, are you shocked? Or did, or did you think, I, I just, this guy's perfect? No. You're like, I'm listening to the guy preach right now. It's not perfect. Um, but I, I know I don't, even, I don't live up to biblical standards all the time. No, no man does. But then I, I got really into the nitty-gritty of it. I don't even live at my own standards. How many, do, you have, do you guys have personal standards, personal, a personal code and ethic that you live by? And how many times, how many times you f- find yourself frustrated that you don't even do the thing that you tell yourself you should be doing? Anybody? Or is it just me? <laughs> yeah, I know it's not just me. Uh, I knew that would, that would touch and strike a chord. You see, one of the real dangers in the church for us as a collective and for us as individuals is forgetting that at every waking moment of our lives, we are desperately in need of the grace of God. That's the danger. That's the danger for us Christians, is to live in such a way that we don't desperately need the grace of God in our life. And if we, if we know that we are in desperate need of grace, then I think the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, they make a little more sense, and they help us understand how we're all prone to hypocrisy. He says, nothing that we despise in other men is inherently absent from ourselves. We must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or don't do, and more in light of what they suffer. And so, I guess, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he helps us really get at the core of it, and he says, how do you view humanity or let's break it down to even, even um, a smaller um, sample size. How do you view your relationship to fellow Christians? Is it, are, are we all together celebrating the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? Um, our gifts, our abilities, our, the things we, we know, we don't know, and we're doing life together as a family, united in, in this beautiful thing? Or are we doing a Jesus plus thing? And do we have all these self-imposed cultures and customs that we apply to ourselves and that we're secretly, quietly, or maybe we have a, a few of us who all feel the same way and we're looking at others saying, 
well, they don't do, you don't do this, and you don't do that, so you must not be as holy as I am. It, 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 the weird thing about this text is that the problem of hypocrisy is never going to really go away because people will always be present. The reason, the reason why people are frustrated with the, with the church is not because the message of the gospel isn't beautiful. It's just, that, it's just that his people don't really live in congruence with the kingdom always. And so that's it. No good news. Go home. <laughs> Sorry. Go, go home and cry. No. Hopefully, hopefully what I've done this morning is shown you that if God's acceptance of you is based on your embrace of cultural customs, strict adherence to self-imposed standards, which fosters religious security and moral superiority, you will either live a life of fear and exhaustion, which is a lot of the church, or you will live in the deep delusion that you are better than those who fail to meet your standards. And this is why Paul says, if you operate this way, Jesus plus anything else, it's going to be slavery. It's a prison. That's a prison. So a lot of people, if they come to a church that is a prison like that, they're not going to want to join. Who wants to join prison, right? I mean, who wants to be making, you know, toilet wine and, you know, all those things? I mean, nobody. It's the only thing I can think of. But listen, living life like that from that perspective, it's a prison. Jesus plus, and, you're, and it's your own, that's a, that's a nefarious thing about hypocrisy. It's your own ideas, your own customs and cultures being infused with Christ and his work and impl, you know, implementing them on yourself and, and trying to implement them on others is, is slavery. It's a prison. And this is what Paul is saying. And here's the good news. Like I said, the, the joke was you go home and cry. But the good news is the gospel grants freedom. Freedom from self-righteous systems and people. And Paul says that these spies, they sought to enslave. But isn't it glorious there? He says that we did not yield in, sub in submission to them for even a moment. Paul knew that he possessed the true gospel. The the apostles in Jerusalem, they agreed that they were all in congruence with the kingdom of God, that they had both received their good news from Jesus himself, and therefore they would not yield to these spies trying to add to the gospel. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing we do. I've been watching this, this uh, YouTube guy. He, it's interesting. He goes and gets thrift store paintings, and he adds to them. And sometimes he, for the better of the work, and sometimes as a detriment, I think, dude, you didn't see the vision, you know? But isn't it interesting? Like, you, I guess you could do that for a YouTube channel, but you can't do that to the gospel. The gospel's already glorious, beautiful, mysterious, confounding, wonderful, tremendous. It's, it's everything. Why would we ever set it up on an easel and start doodling on it? That's insane. But that's what happens in churches sometimes. We start making our own little custom tweaks to it. We, we live in a, a, a society that is 
is fascinated with customization. Again, another YouTube channel I watch is, you know, these guys who are, they take a car and they, you know, put bigger wheels and rims and mufflers and, you know, snorkels on things and everything. It's like customizing is cool, but don't do it to the gospel. It is beautiful all by itself. Leave it alone. I was, I've been, I and now you get to understand all the things I watch and, and find fascinating. But if, I've, been, I've been watching them rebuild uh, Notre Dame or Notre Dame, however you want to say it. Um, but I've been watching them re, rebuild it. You know, it burnt down several years ago. And they're taking painstaking process to rebuild it just as it was. They're purists because they know it was beautiful the, just the way it was. And so I think what Paul, why he's so frustrated with the Galatians is he knows how beautiful the gospel is. And what we need to embrace is like when, when anybody, and that includes ourselves, when we ever want to tinker with who Jesus is and what he's done and what that means for our lives and the world around us, we need to stop. The gospel is perfect the way it is. Let's leave it alone. And if, and if necessary, guys, if, if, if brothers and sisters are messing with it, then we need to take a page out of the Apostle Paul's playbook. And we need to go to that place and see if those people will embrace the same thing that we embrace. They, they don't continue talking about it in a, in a gossipy kind of way. They meet it head on. Paul is really encouraging because, one, the gospel gives him courage to go see his brothers because there is that, I wonder if he had that lingering thing in the back of his head, wondering, are they going to accept me? Will they embrace me? Will I be one of the, one of the gang? And then, and then I, lo- I love that he's trying to foster unity there, and then he will not allow himself to be bullied by these spies. He's doing both. And I think it's, I think it's an incredible, there's incredible lessons being learned here. Because... For Paul, the gospel had empowered him, and there was no turning back uh, uh, from that. He had been validated, secured, and embraced by the the trinity of God. He knew that he was, in fact, a, a child of God. He had great gospel courage. And he tells each one of us, no matter what kind of personality you have, that you too can have uh, gospel courage. I think, and I'm, gonna, and I'm closing it up now, but it's going to be a long close, just so you know. Um, so I'll start ra- wrapping Bibles up and, you know, thinking about uh, Culver's just yet. But there's a real interesting thing, I think, that the text tells us, that, that Paul shows us, and what the gospel gives us. And I think it's the, the good, it, 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 please take me seriously, um, but... I think it's a good gospel gift of not giving a rip. There is a good gospel gift that God can give us in not giving a rip, where we can face the people we need to face and not be bullied by people who are trying to undermine things. And let me clarify this. The good gospel gift of not giving a rip is not not caring, not not caring about people. I told Beth that she's all, you need to make that clear, because um, um, 
let's be honest. I think I have a gift of not giving a rip, but it's not always coming from a, 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 a real holy place. Sometimes I'm just being a jerk. Sometimes I'm just being mean, and I don't care. And that's a problem because that's not, that's not a person informed by the gospel. That's not a person who's informed by the sacrificial love that Christ has borne in his life, his death, and his resurrection, and the beauty of the calling that he places before us. That just means being a jerk. But there also is a good gift in its sanctified form that believes love can actually confront an individual and reconciliation can be accomplished. There's a gift in not caring that when, you know, when some people come into the church, and it has happened already in my, in my time here at Union, people have come and tried to change our gospel and how we, how we proclaim it and how we, how we um, follow out its implications. People have already tried to, tr- to, to, to adjust that. And I just look at them and I say, well, that's not going to happen. We're not going to mess with the gospel. But there's three, three things real quickly that I want to cover. That if, if you understand the gospel and embrace the good gift of not giving a rip, you'll, it, will, it will help you. The way it helped Paul, and I, the way I think it's helped me at times. And, and one, and, and, and to begin with, is, is that the, the gospel helps you, not, it helps you hold humanity in healthy places. The gospel helps you hold humanity in healthy places. Um, actually, Paul talks about this in verse 6. He says, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. There's two ways to read that. Not only did they not add the requirements of circumcision to Titus, but also he's saying, I didn't go there with stars in my eyes thinking I'm going to meet a bunch of celebrities and and let them influence the way I live my life. You know, it's really important, guys. Um, I don't know if it's Spurgeon who said it or J.C. Ryle said it, but, but the gospel helps us remember that the best of men are men at best. What, it, what, is, what do the old-timers say? You put your pants on one, one leg at a time, and then you have the knucklehead who says, well, what if you jump into your pants? Um, I don't know. But Paul is really, really courageous in how he... Uh, how he reaches out to the apostles in Jerusalem. Because he's not, he doesn't see them as celebrities. He sees them as brothers and sisters. And and, and with that kind of confidence, you can talk to people because you don't hold them in too high of an esteem, like reasonable, rational people. And that's true on the reverse as well, because if you also look at people as image bearers, and you see they are worthy of respect and dignity and and honor because they are made by God, then from that humble place, you can also talk to those people without any pride, arrogance, or self-righteousness. So the gospel helps us look at humanity from a, 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 an, evil, an even position, not an evil position, an even position, because the, the ground at the cross is, is level. 
We're all leveled. We're all the same people. We're all family. Number two, um, another beautiful thing we see in this text is that it also, the gospel also helps you celebrate what is going on in other people, even though it may not be going on in your own life. Uh, seven through nine says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with a gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Do you see? It was really beautiful here. They didn't see each other as um, competitors. They saw each other as companions. Companions in partnership with the gospel and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, it is so important to remember as we develop as a family that we are, um, we're, we're not competitors. We're companions in this gospel. And just because... You know, so-and-so is not doing something that you would do in the church doesn't mean they're necessarily not living a, a holy and righteous life, right? It's weird, even in small families, especially in small families, we can really get nitpicky of, of one another if we're not careful, if we don't just embrace always our desperate need for grace and the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so... Um, remember, we're, we're, we're not competitors in this church. We are we're companions. We're, we're comrades. We're br brothers and sisters in, in arms. Uh, everyone is on mission, just playing a different part in that mission. We don't know how everyone is incorporated. But what's important to remember, all of us in this endeavor, is no one is the main character in the story. Jesus says, that's what our gospel is about. It's about him. It's not about me. It's not about John. It's not about uh, Bill. It's not about, you know, Mike. It's not, it's not about our elders or potential elders. It's not about our worship team. It's, it's, it's about Jesus. And we will not mess with that beautiful picture. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about it is that He's called by God to do this, but it's worked out in community. You notice he has to go talk to human beings and work this out. So much in the church that is broken can be fixed just by a little bit of talking. But it has to be talk that is informed by the reconciliation that Jesus has made possible through his life, death, and resurrection. If we are armed with that in our minds and in our hearts, we can work out anything that happens in our family, just like Paul did with his brothers. I don't know about you, but I think that's really great news, and it's really cool. And then number three, finally, and I'm really done, is uh, you, because the gospel gives you this freedom and this you are embraced by it because you are in, and you don't have to worry about that anymore. The gospel brings you to a place about not being worried about who gets the credit. Um, Jesus puts it, or Jesus, um, 
Uh, Keller puts it this way. He poetically puts, puts it this way about Jesus. He says, the gospel is that, is that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died. And might I add, therefore, he gives us credit that he deserves. You see that Jesus gives us a righteousness that is not our own. It's his. Each one of you, if you could imagine clothing that you're wearing today, it's not your, it's not your, your spiritual clothing, at least. Do you understand that you've come in, if you've embraced the purity of the gospel, that you are wearing Christ's righteousness? That's what clothed you. That's what makes you holy. That's what makes you acceptable to God, is that you wear his righteousness. It's not your own. And if, it is, if, you, th- if you come in thinking that it's your own, then you're in prison. You're, you're enslaved, is what Paul's saying. But when you can just finally rest on the good work of Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about who gets credit in it. And I, and I just have this, I have two words here, and this will make sense to you if you are a Seinfeld fan. Um, big salad. You no longer have to worry about who gets credit for the big salad. If you, apparently nobody has watched this show. Um, that's... <laughs> It's really sad because there's this really great episode where George, where, where Elaine asked George to uh, get him a salad, or Elaine asked George to get him get her a salad. George buys the salad, and his girlfriend gives Elaine the salad, and Elaine Elaine says thank you to George's girlfriend, and this has George incensed because he didn't get credit for the big salad. And Seinfeld, he's a, he can't believe it. He's appalled. He says, well, how big was the salad? And he says, what, what was it, like lettuce the size of Texas? Was it, was it um, you know, was it t- uh, tomatoes the size of volleyballs? You know? Um, but it's, it's, it's so funny because George is so worked up that he didn't get credit for this big salad. And it's silly on a sitcom I tell you what, it's so true about us if we don't just rest in Jesus. We are busy worrying about and wondering if someone sees us and is accepting us, validating us, loving us, appreciating us. And, you know, are we in? Are we welcomed? Are we a part of this thing? See, Jesus tells us you don't need credit for the big salad to be really silly and foolish. Jesus is the big salad, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't go too deep into the theology of that. Just, 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 we're putting that out there. All right. But we're done. A couple questions for you. Um, lots of questions, yeah. That's for coffee after. Um, number one, has the gospel set me free from the middle school mindset? Have I settled into the freedom, the validation, the security that the gospel provides? Or am I living in a prison? Am I enslaved to something that is my self-imposed standard that I'm applying to Jesus? Is it, am I in a prison? Are you, maybe the question should be, am I free or am I a slave, right? And then number two, 
Do I struggle with hypocrisy? If you're being honest, yes, we all do. And the, I think the better question is, what way am I, I prone to it? How am I prone to hypocrisy? What threatens me? You know, what is the thing that I look at in others that really, you know, gets under my skin and frustrates me? Perhaps that is the thing that I struggle with. That's, I think that's what they talk about in therapy sometimes. But um, anyway, I'm done. I'm thankful to be done. And, um, and I'm just wondering, I hope you've heard that message because Paul shows us that there's always an answer in his, for his people. And the answer is Jesus. The, the solution to our world's problems, my friends, is still in the crucified and resurrected Christ. I believe that with my whole heart. And I believe all the talking heads, if it's not incorporating that, that good news, it's useless. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word, your love, your kindness and grace. And as we um, enter into a time of communion with you and considering your blood and your body um, shed and broken for us, may we 